Ladies and gentlemen, you are watching the Cashing Points live stream. I'm Scott Barrett. You know me well. Uh, joining us is Jake Tribby, who you've seen quite a number of times. And we have a new special guest today, and that is Hilo from our sister site, One Week Season. Hilo is an incredibly impressive individual. Uh, JM and I were talking the other week, and JM was like, yeah, I think this this guy's smarter than I am. Like, yeah, I, I feel the same way. So really excited to see what he brings to the table this week. We had him on our show uh, a couple of weeks ago, filling in for JM. Um, I I was very sick earlier this week. I uh, apparently had like a stomach issue and like the worst thing I could eat is garlic. And apparently I might be a vampire. And uh, yeah, I just like lived in the bathroom for a solid two days. And now Graham is in exactly the same position. I don't think he had garlic, but he does have food poisoning. So Graham couldn't make it today. Hilo is filling in. Hilo, uh, how are you doing? Are you excited to make your Cashing Points debut? Yeah, man, of course. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the the shout earlier today. And um, I'm excited to talk some uh, some football with some extremely sharp people. So excited to hit it here. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm uh, I'm actually starting to feel a little under the weather too, but uh, nothing can stop me from talking through the Sam Ellinger slate this week. So, <laughs> oh hell, hell yeah, Sam season. All right, uh, let's let's dive into this. Uh, what is our our first game today, Hilo? Yeah, so first we're going to take a look at probably everyone's favorite game on the slate: the uh, Falcons at the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, it's completely tongue in cheek saying that, but uh, there's some interesting moving pieces with this game, and um. For one, we have an Atlanta pass defense that already ranks second in DBOA against the pass. And now they're going to be without two primary pieces of their secondary and AJ Terrell and Jalen Hawkins. On the other side of the ball, we also have Chuba Hubbard that's going to be out. So do we have any interest in some Panthers this week? Question mark. Um, Donta Foreman um, and then potentially DJ Moore against the banged up secondary. How are we feeling about that, boys? Yeah, I think John put it perfectly where he said this game is going to set the NFL back 47 years. It's just in terms of pace of play, uh, how, how run heavy both teams are going to be. But but I think you nailed it. It's, you know, on paper, this Atlanta defense is extremely vulnerable. Bottom three and schedule adjusted to quarterbacks, bottom two to wide receivers. Uh, so it's at least a little interesting in that regard. Um, I'll kick it over to Jake because I, I know he's quite fond of DJ Moore and I, I, I certainly get the argument there. Yeah. So last week, um, you know, week six saw the Panthers, you know, not throw the ball past line of scrimmage at all. PJ Walker, 63% of his pass attempts in week six were screens. And the coaches said, you know, in the middle, middle of the week before week seven, they were like, look, we really trust them. And it turns out they did. They started throwing the ball downfield in, in week seven, PJ Walker ended up as PFF's highest graded quarterback. And, he looked incredible last week, um, and that was obviously great news for DJ Moore, who earned a 46% target share in a season-high 19.6 fantasy points. And Atlanta, as you guys already touched on, is a fantastic matchup. They're the premier pass funnel so far this season, allowing uh, 9.2 um, uh, allowing plus 9.2% uh, pass rate over expectation. Um, so, you know, I'm anticipating another high-volume outing for, for DJ Moore, who's still, you know, underpriced on... Uh, on DraftKings, and uh, yeah, it's a great spot for him. He's he's a clear clear value this week at wide receiver. 
Yeah, I, I wrote him up yesterday. I didn't write him or last week. I didn't write him up with my chest out, but I feel like I could sort of do that this week. And what I said in my analysis was, well, uh, with PJ Walker under center, DJ Moore had a whopping 28% target share. And then if you take out Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey, who are no longer the teams, it's a 47% target share. And then lo and behold, he had just about exactly a 47% target share last week. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of what we could be looking at. Like you said, a lot of screens. Uh, this is a very favorable cornerback matchup. But even if it wasn't, like you just don't defend screens like that. Um, but yeah, you you threw it over to me, Hilo, uh, with regard to Donta Foreman. I, I'm not really sure I have a, a strong take there. Uh, where, where are you at on Donta Foreman? I mean, on paper, he should see 18 to 22 running back opportunities, but also we have to consider the overall state of the slate. And we're starting to get away from the the slates where we have like minimal options at the running back position. You look at this week, we at the top end, uh, we got guys like Derrick Henry in a splash spot against Houston. We also have a guy like Alvin Kamara, who with Andy Dalton, that quarterback, has seen an increased uh, pass game involvement again. In that same game, on the other side, we have Josh Jacobs, who is everyone's like favorite, <laughs> or I guess non-favorite. They don't want to consider him a workhorse running back, but that's what we're seeing this year. Um, so, and then when we're going to get to a couple of other games, we have a lot of players, a lot of running backs in this mid-range um, that have viable GPP upside and uh, cash game floor. So I, I think on this slate, it's probably in the realm of like not required, even though on paper, like the workload and the projected volume looks okay. Um, we just have so many options on the slate at the position that I don't think we need to go there and, and take on additional risk where it's not needed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've also been intentional with my running back exposure and I've really been limiting it and also sort of eating the chalk. And uh, I just don't see myself playing very much of Chuba Hubbard, but I mean, like you said, it it's a very cheap projected, I don't know, 18 plus carries, uh, two plus targets. Uh, it's also like the lowest implied point total of the slate. So maybe not a ton of uh, touchdown upside, but, but uh, yeah, I think he's, he's going to bubble for me this week. I think also in along that same lines, it speaks volume to the slate that this game is not the lowest Vegas <laughs> or game total on the slate which we have all we have seven games that are down below like a 45 point game total, um, which is going to give us obviously some, some hurdles to navigate here for this slate. Uh, Jake, you have anything to add on the Panthers and the Falcons before we continue? No, not really. I'm, I'm pretty with you guys on, uh, on Foreman. I think, I think Carolina kind of leans into the past this week. So, so DJ Moore is really the guy I'm, I'm looking at on the, on the Carolina side, Atlanta, it's, I mean, Mariota would probably be in play if uh, there weren't there weren't uh, you know some other much stronger value options at quarterback. Um, and yeah, I don't think I can pull the trigger. The head coach came out and said, you know, he's going to ride the hot hand. And to me, Khalil Herbert is on a day armis, and David Montgomery is Nancy Pelosi in terms of how hot they are. Herbert is ranking top three in every key efficiency metric I look at. David Montgomery's at best middle of the pack, except for missed tackles per attempt where he's sort of tied with Herbert. Uh, and that's just like a YOLO GPP play where, hey, maybe they make that move this week. But again, like 
I, I don't expect to have really any exposure to, to these games. Hilo, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. And I think you have to start looking at this game through the perspective of Chicago and what they are able to oh, do. Oh, I'm offense. sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Pollard must play, but everyone else. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Hilo. Yeah, for sure. And um, what we saw last week out of Chicago is we saw a team that wanted to stay ahead of the sticks and they have not done that to this point in the season. And a lot of that probably is to do with, you know, the amount of turnover that Chicago had this season. They changed everything from the GM to the entire coaching staff. Basically they stood up an analytics department for the first time in team history. So they have a lot of moving pieces and that's going to take time to instill, to get on the same page. And what we saw last week was a team that threw the ball or design had a design Justin Fields rush attempt on 11 of their first downs. That was not seen at all leading up to last week. So they were actively trying to stay ahead of the sticks as opposed to what we saw over the first six weeks of the season is this was really a team that they were trying to just mask their deficiencies in the offensive line. They were running elevated tw- uh, 12 personnel. They were utilizing Equinemius St. Brown as like almost purely a blocker. And they were trying to hide the deficiencies of their offensive line. Whereas last week, we kind of saw them leaning forward and looking more to overcome those deficiencies as opposed to just trying to mask them. So that's an interesting thing to, to I guess, track moving forward is, is this team like turning the corner or is their system like coming into play more where the, where they are less predictable, they are running the ball uh, with Dave Montgomery less on first down. Um, so those are the kind of things that, that pique my interest as far as what to expect from this team moving forward. Um, I think another interesting aspect of this game is Noah Brown has yet to practice this week. So we could have Ooh. a situation where Michael Gallup is uh, re-elevated into kind of this wide receiver two role for Dallas after kind of playing third fiddle coming back from injury to Noah Brown. Um, Jake, yeah. do you have any interest with the, or yeah, throw it over to you, Scott. Do you have any interest? Yeah, yeah I, I would still have no interest in Michael Gallup at 5k on DraftKings. I, I think it's less a volume concern and more just a performance issue. Uh, I mean, he wasn't great last year. He's coming off of a serious injury. He's probably still not 100%. And he has like, what, a 3.3 yards per target average. Um, but yeah, Jake, is Tony Pollard the best play of the slate? or merely a top three, top five play of the slate, if Zeke sits, which I think he sits. Yeah, I think, I mean, right now, Pollard's Pollard's projecting as, I believe, the top running back play of the slate overall by value. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote him up in values. He's an incredibly strong play. The last time Zeke sat, nine targets, 132 yards from scrimmage, 31.2 fantasy points. Uh, Pollard over the last three seasons averages 0.94 fantasy points per touch. This Cowboys backfield is averaging 27.6 touches per game. You prescribe Pollard 70% of the work. We're looking at about 18 fantasy points, 80% of the work, 20 fantasy points, 90% of the work, 23 fantasy points. You know, at 6,100, I mean, it's just, it's a smash spot. Chicago's a largely neutral matchup for opposing running backs by schedule adjusted fantasy points per game, but they're giving up the second most yards after contact this season, which is a metric Pollard Pollard has historically smashed in. And this season he ranks fourth best among all rushers in yards after contact per attempt. Um, so, I mean, you know, this is a, a high volume outing for for Pollard and he's clearly underpriced and it's a matchup that arguably really uh, suits his skill set. So, yeah, uh, Scott, I got a couple of comments that uh, we were muted for the 
the first half of that Cowboys analysis. So could you just redo, uh, you know, your, your rundown on the Cowboys? Yeah, we're going to have to do uh, Atlanta and Carolina again as well. So just uh, what I was saying with, with Dallas is that, uh, you know, JM has constantly been talking about this is this off season uh, watching interviews with the coach say, we're going to go far more run heavy this year. This isn't the same offense that our fans have grown accustomed because our defense is so good. We just don't need to be airing it out and running as fast paced at a league high rate like they were. And then beyond that is I've seen nothing from CeeDee Lamb with Dak Prescott under center since early November, late October of last year. All of his production came with Cooper Rush. And so he's expensive and he's going to draw ownership. And so I, I, I believe in the, the narrative that, you know, I just suggested, although that's not going to be represented in ownership. And so that's just an easy fade for me. Don't really have much interest in anyone in this game outside of Tony Pollard. And then we sort of said the same thing for Carolina Atlanta. Uh, you know, John Hansen was saying, this is a game that's going to bring us back to 1943, just in terms of the pace of play, how run heavy it's going to be. Uh, that said, Carolina does have an amazing matchup on paper. PJ Walker, like Jake said, was the highest graded uh, quarterback per PFF last week. Um, Donna Foreman is sort of like a bubble type player for us. It's a pass funnel defense, although he should get 18 carries, two targets, something like that, which makes him seem underpriced, though the implied point total is low. So he, he just kind of he's in play, but he's not one of my top five favorite running backs. And I'm really going to have a narrow exposure to running backs this week. Uh, but Jake, did you want to uh, go over your your adoration for DJ Moore one more time? So it, it looks like we're actually good on Atlanta, Carolina. Oh, okay. uh, they just okay. they just missed uh, the Cowboys. <laughs> my, my so bad. I think I think we're probably good to move on there. Sorry about that, guys. So we'll close the loop on the Cowboys uh, real quick. There are five teams with a pass rate over expectation under league average in every game played this season. The Browns, the Saints, the Bears, the Titans, and the Cowboys. So again, feeding back into what Scott was saying, as far as the narrative not matching expected fantasy production and expected ownership there for C.D. Lamb, uh, this is a situation for me anyway, with a team with a high game total, it is pretty much a Tony Pollard or the Dallas defense um, for me. Um, we, we, we look at like the state of Dallas, how they're the, the, their defense, how they're able to generate so much organic pressure without having to blitz. If Chicago is not able to stay ahead of this, like we talked about earlier, like this, this transformation we've seen, if they're not able to do that, it's going to lead to Justin Fields dropping back in, in long, long down and distance to go situations. And he has not demonstrated um, a, a solid feel for the pocket yet in his NFL career. What we see is indecision. He doesn't know, can I make this by scrambling? And he basically runs around and gets and takes the sack. And that's kind of why, what we've seen from him as a development developmental player, really. So there's opportunity for pressure to get to Justin Fields, which obviously leads to sacks and turnovers for fantasy good. Oh yeah. Uh, Dallas defense is an amazing play. This is the worst defensive line by pressure rate over expectation in six years. This is the best uh, for Chicago, for Dallas. This is the best uh, defensive line by pressure rate over expectation in three years. Like they're just going to maul him. The Micah one thing Parsons. I'll say, with, 
Yeah. Oh, I was I was just going to jump in to say that Micah Parsons is minus one forty to win Defensive Player of the Year, which is insane <laughs> at this point in the season. He is balling. Yeah. The uh, yeah. The only thing I'll say is uh, with Konami Code Hypermobile quarterbacks, uh, they're basically neutral in fantasy points per game in their most pressured weeks versus their least pressured weeks. Whereas for like Tom Brady, it's a ten point differential, and so like maybe this pass rush just means he runs more breaks the pocket more frequently but uh yeah i think you nailed it i think this game is pollard and or dallas defense i dig it we'll move on to the another high game total in the dolphins and the lions we have a miami team who actually let's start with the the, the lions because what we've seen out of the lions primarily with their defense, is they lead the league in man coverage rates. Obviously, that has translated to numerous splash plays against. You have secondary members of the secondary who have their backs turned to the play. That leads to increased you know, expected rushing yards uh, efficiency. Um, but that said, they came out of their buy-in last week and only played 22% man. Is that something that you guys are seeing as a trend, as a signal, or do you think that that was primarily matchup specific? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. What do you think? Yeah, I yeah, mean, go for it, Jake. Your your guess is as good as mine. Um, I I think so. On the Lions side of things, I'm heavily interested in Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think is um, glaringly underpriced. I don't know if you guys have any. Uh, any notes there? I think I think regardless of coverage matchup, he's a fantastic play. Yeah. yeah so, we... Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. So I was all in on Amon Ross St. Brown last week. I thought he was probably the best, you know, non-running back play of the slate. And it's just look at and then of course he ran bad and he's been running bad uh, over his last eight healthy games. 11.4 targets per game, 26.3 fantasy points per game, with a low of 10 targets. He hit 20 fantasy points in seven of eight. And that's exactly as many targets per game. That's more fantasy points per game than Cooper Cup since the start of week one last year. And he's, what, 3,000 cheaper? Uh, and so that's just like a no-brainer for me. The, the only hole you could poke in it, the only reason why I might not go all in, is he's been in limited in practice all week. Uh, and he did say last week he, he was 90% healthy. Um, Hilo, can you help me tease that apart? Um, where are you at on Amon Ra? So, yeah, I think we have to look at their, the injury report of this game to kind of unpack that a little bit. And when you look at it, be prepared because be prepared to scroll, I should say, because the, the laundry list of lin- injuries on both of these teams is fairly extensive. We have Xavier Howard who repopped on the injury report with a groin issue after dealing with groins plural over the first part of the season so that looks like a re-aggravation of a groin injury he missed practice on wednesday got in a limited session on thursday the other members of the miami secondary are either like perennial whooping boy uh noah igbajin that guy um and then cater kahoo who's the uh the rookie slot nickel corner um who's also been limited with an oblique injury this week and then you move over to Detroit and it's like, good God, man, they have offensive line injuries. They have cornerback secondary injuries. They have um, both offensive tackles who've been on the injury report. TJ Hawkinson missed practice on Wednesday with a knee injury who was limited on Thursday. 
Um, their center, Frank Ragnow, picked up a foot injury last week. Uh, and Josh Reynolds was a DNP on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. And it finally looks like DeAndre Swift, first game off of the injury report, he was a full practice in both practices. So for Amon Ross specifically, or I guess for the, the state of this, this team specifically, they have struggled hard over the last few weeks after leading the league in scoring over the first five weeks of the season. So what was probably, you know, like what are the causal factors or why uh, did that transpire? One, it's been the pressure that their offensive line has allowed. And we know that Jared Goff is like really, really like bottom three bad against pressure and against blitzes. And the other thing is just the, the, the litany of injuries that this team has had to fight through. Obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift has been out. Josh Reynolds has been dealing with an ankle injury, and now he's on the injury report with a knee injury. So we have all these like these moving pieces that are obviously going to affect the efficiency of the offense. And when talking about like this game environment overall, I think it's going to be up to Detroit to kind of dictate things because Miami has shown the propensity to 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 kind of throttle back. Um, if they are controlling a game environment, they haven't scored over 17 points in any of the last four games played. Uh, so it's likely going to be up to Detroit to kind of push Miami here. If we're attacking this game environment, you know, look back to the game in Baltimore, what happened there uh, in week two against Miami. Um, this, the game started off with a kickoff return for a touchdown uh, through Devin Duvernay. And that game just kind of blew up from there. Miami was trailing heavily throughout the duration of the game. They were pushed. And I think the general narrative of Miami is they are this heavy pass rate over expectation team. When the reality, the fact is they've only been over league average in pass rate over expectation in two games this year. Um, So this is a, a team that they want to kind of control and manage the game environment on their own terms. Taking that to the other side, Again, back circling back to, to my assertion that it's likely up to Detroit to dictate or to push the pace here. And since we have this like night and day um, output from Detroit this year, you know, leading the league and scoring through five weeks and then falling flat on their face over the last two weeks, it leaves the game environment with a rather wide range of potential outcomes. Um, and that also, I think, circles back to Detroit, uh, their coverage schemes, because if they come out and play 60% man coverage with Jeff Okuda following around Tyree Kill all game. That's probably not going to end up well in their favor. So um, I just think that this, this game environment has a much wider range of potential outcomes than the field is likely giving credit for this week. Jake, what are you seeing? from? So, this? so if I could chime in, I, I think yeah. I just disagree with that. Um, if you look at pressure rate over, uh, sorry, pass rate over expectation in games Tua started, they're at plus 9.8%, which would be right there with the Bills and Chiefs. So it could just be, hey, we have our backup quarterback in. And sometimes the backup quarterback who had, you know, zero uh, snaps the entire week in practice, that it made sense for them to sort of take their foot off the gas. Um, what happened last week, they were they were highly successful in the first half. And in the second half, they were they were still kind of chucking it. They just weren't successful. I want to know what second half adjustment Pittsburgh made uh, that really seemed to work uh, against them. But I, I love Tua. I love Tua Sacks this week. He ranks third among all quarterbacks in fantasy points per dropback. The team ranks fourth in passing yards per game. They've had the single toughest quarterback schedule. 
uh, which makes those numbers look even more impressive. Detroit is far and away their softest matchup, yet third worst in schedule adjusted, third worst in opposing passer rating allowed. Uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, he's averaging more yards per game than Jerry Rice has ever in any season of his career. He's really on an entirely different level. And then Jalen Waddle, too, I think is someone who can go overlooked uh, as Tyreek is looking to be one of the chalkier pieces of the slate. But he ranks seventh on DraftKings and salary, seventh among all slate eligible wide receivers and fantasy points per game, minus those two games where he was questionable with an injury. He averaged 19.8 fantasy points per game. Uh, he had at least 13.5 in five of five healthy games. Uh, that would rank above Devontae Adams for fourth best on the slate. Uh, and I think there's a chance he goes low. And I, I mean, this is sort of take lock confirmation bias because Johnny and I were saying like, I think Tua stinks and I, or like isn't great. And I, I just don't think it matters with Mike McDaniel plus Tyreek, the biggest QB elevator we've ever seen, plus the closest thing in the game to Jalen Waddle. So, you know, if the assumption with the pass rate over expectation with Tua healthy, uh, this just feels like good chalk to me. But but then again, you could also make a case for Raheem Mostert. I have to go to the bathroom really badly. Uh, Jake, do you want to chime in? Where, where do you stand on this? And where do you stand on Raheem Mostert as either a leverage play off of Tua chalk or just as a, an outright value? Yeah, I, I think I think Mostert's a, a pretty strong value this week, all things considered. I mean, industry-wide, he's projecting as a better value than Kamara, Josh Jacobs, Damian Pierce. Saquon Barkley. Um, I had I had a stat poll that I thought was pretty great. So over his last four games, Mostert has hit a 60% snap share and at least 14 touches in, in each individual game. The only other running backs to do that in their last four games are Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, and Saquon Barkley. The Lions are the fifth best matchup by uh, for running backs by schedule adjusted FPG uh, fantasy points per game allowed. Uh, they're allowing the third highest yards per carry, the second most they've allowed the second most rushing TDs, and they've allowed the second highest percentage of explosive plays um so this is a really great spot for uh for mostert and the thing with him is Tua is projecting right there with with ellinger as the highest owned qb of the slate so i think you could make a really good case that that mostert is is elite leverage here um and i also think you know another guy that we we haven't talked about i i really like waddle really like Obviously, but uh, Mike Kosicki is in play here. He's seen a, a pretty solid increase in offensive involvement over the last two weeks, going from a roughly 50% route share to closer to 70%. And his XFP per game has jumped up to tight end three levels over the last two weeks, averaging seven targets per game over that span. Um, so you can really get different with some Tua stacks if you go that direction by, you know, playing him with Waddle, playing him with Gasicki, and, you know, obviously Tyreek Hill as well. Yeah, to close that loop, I think on that whole discussion too, the Dolphins have only finished three games with the same starting quarterback that they started with this season, weeks one and two, and then last week. So yeah, that's, that's definitely an interesting perspective on, um, on kind of what could be viewed as a, as a causal factor there. Um, as far as Mike Kosicki, do you, uh, I'll throw it back to you, Jake. Do you think any of the increase that he's seen over the past couple of weeks has been due to the injury to Durham Smythe? I mean, he's he's a much better receiver than Durham Smythe. So yeah. I, you know, I think I think they may just be trying to get him more involved. I, you could maybe make a stronger argument that it's it could be because of the injury to Waddle. You know, Waddle hasn't been 100 percent recently. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think he's definitely in play. And if you're looking for a way to get different with, with two stacks, I, I think that's, you know, that's probably the direction I'd go along with Waddle. I mean, uh, yeah. Smythe did play last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately I'm not really about Jasicki. I, I, I really liked him a couple of weeks ago with uh, Skylar Thompson getting hurt in the first quarter and tanking all my teams, but uh, not really this week. Cause like, yeah, look at his numbers the last two weeks. They've been very similar, even with Smite back, but it's still not amazing usage. It's still like sub dulcich usage. So uh, it's not something that really gives me a boner. And like when you look at Waddle and Tyreek, when they've been healthy, um, not listed as questionable, like they are both top three in target share. Um, and yeah, granted, you know, that was with Jasicki playing a limited role, but I mean, I do think that's what this offense wants to be is like, we have, we have two Tyreeks. No other team has even one Tyreek. Let's just, let's go. Um, yeah. Ultimately, they arguably like, have three Tyreeks. Trent Sherfield. <laughs> no, with, uh, with Raheem Moster. I mean, he's one of the fastest oh, yeah. in, the, in the league. Yeah. Hell, hell yeah. Man. That's speed. Undeniable speed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like on, on uh, Tuesday, I was like, I don't know what ownership's going to look like, but I would feel so good just going all in on two quarterbacks, Tua and Sam Ellinger. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do now with with this looking chalky, but I mean, I I think it's good chalk. Yeah, I think to to close the loop on this game, I think I started the week thinking that Raheem Mostert was probably one of the top leverage, like singular leverage points. Ellinger plus Mostert or, you know, two sacks like that that gets me excited but sorry go on yeah then as the week kind of progressed and we started getting more and more like viable gpp running back plays i think that loses a little bit of a lure um you you kind of want to be taking on additional unknowns when there is a very concentrated um path that the field is going to be taking at a position Whereas now with running backs, like, yes, we have the the chalk in Derrick Henry and in Tony Pollard, but the rest is kind of spread out behind that. You know, I mentioned a couple of guys earlier and Josh Jacobs and Alvin Kamara who are in great spots. Uh, we have Raheem Moster, obviously, who's in a great spot. Um, so there's just a lot of ways I think you can go at the running back position on this slate that I think that I would be less likely or less inclined to take on the additional risk um, at the position this week. Uh, any Parting shots on this one before we move on. All right, let's move over to... Uh, yeah, Swift. Do, do you have any interest there? Like, if you look at his last three fully healthy games, he's been over 130 rushing yards in each. Uh, but, I mean, I, I see there's sky-high upside there, but there's still the chance Jamal Williams gets 40% of the work. There's still a chance Swift is severely limited. Uh, I just don't think anyone's going to play him. And I, I, this is a guy, you know, who was being drafted in round one, uh, really good week to week upside. I, I think he makes a lot of sense in, in game stacks, but probably not much sense as a one-off play. I think the, the field's perception on Swift is that he carries this gaudy ceiling. When you look at his game logs over the last two years, he's put up one game where it was like this had to have a ceiling game. I think that primarily comes because they want to keep him around that 60 to 65% snap rate range um, to kind of prolong his longevity. We've seen countless injuries over the last couple of years, um, countless missed games. So 
I think that the perception probably doesn't match the upside, doesn't match the expected ownership to tip the balances for me to carry a whole lot of interest there. I think that makes sense. All right, let's uh, we'll go to the Cardinals at the Vikings. This is another one that obviously has a very clear path to the top overall game environment on the slate. And I think the most telling thing from this game is the absolute annihilation from the Cardinals on opposing wide receiver ones this season. You look at their game logs. They held Cooper Cup to his lowest output in the season. Really the only, the top two performers as a wide receiver one against this team this year were DJ Moore, where he saw double digit targets. And then last week with uh, Chris Olave seeing 14 targets and only caught half of them, uh, but did break the 100 yard bonus. What are you guys seeing from the Minnesota side uh, as far as the passing game goes? Um. Yeah, so I, I think uh, Kirk Cousins is really easy, where he, he's just like so heavily tethered to Justin Jefferson, where if you tell me Justin Jefferson has 140 yards and a score, I, I'll tell you Cousins has a top six quarterback week. If you tell me Justin Jefferson doesn't hit 4x value, like he is guaranteed to be a bust. And I, I think you're nailing it with Arizona, who has quietly like one of the most uh, difficult and underrated cornerback trios in the NFL, at least by what they've given up. Um, certainly they rank top three by schedule adjusted. Uh, and that, that makes me nervous for this entire game. Um, I think DeAndre Hopkins is, is being quietly slept on. You know, he came back immediately had a 45% target share. This is the healthiest he's going to be all season. Uh, and most importantly, is he spent 45% of his time in the slot, which I think is where he needs to be at this stage of his career at age 30, coming off of a year in which he declined by 60% in receiving yards per game, typically a death knell for a wide receiver of his age. And moving him to the slot with Rondale Moore going from 90% to 20%, that crushes him. He averages zero yards per route run from the outside this season. Uh, and what that means to me is just he Nuck, Nuke is far and away the focal point of this offense. And I, I, I think he's going to be locked into terrific target volume. Uh, and I think there's a chance he gets slept on. I, I don't know that he's one of my top eight favorite wide receivers, but he, he's somewhere uh, within that bubble. Yeah, that's, that's also an interesting point as far as the unknowns associated with Arizona's offense. If, I were so basically Cliff Kingsbury has repeatedly attempted to fit square pegs into round holes all season. We look at the usage of Marquise Brown. He kind of was this like Demi X slash Y style wide receiver. And now with, with him out with Marquise Brown out, we were expecting him to transition to this downfield role. He gets hurt and they bring in Robbie Anderson. So do you think Robbie Anderson now with a full week of practice in this scheme do you think he's one, his snap rate is going to increase, which hopefully should shift Rondell Moore back into like a more natural slot role. What are you seeing with like the, the, the scheme there offensively for Arizona? Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a chance. I just don't think he's someone I'm, I'm ever going to play. It's, it's, it's been fascinating watching Greg Cassell talk about Kyler Murray and how poorly he works within the structure of the offense uh, he's just sort of someone who like just does his own thing. And like kind of, yeah. I, I take that to be locking on to DeAndre Hopkins, his boy, uh, not really trusting anyone else with Marquise Brown out, 
Robbie's, you know, like never anyone who's, who's made me money in DFS. Um, Greg said, uh, I spoke to someone who would know who told me Kyler Murray isn't a good player. <laughs> Can't he just really not, not high on Kyler Murray. Um, and so I, I just see this as, you know, a ma- I, if you told me DeAndre Hopkins leads the league in targets this week, I, I, I think that's very believable. Um, but ultimately, no one from this game is, is getting me too excited. Uh, Jefferson in this matchup, um, even the running backs don't, don't excite me too much. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It's, it's hard to love anyone outside of, outside of Hopkins. Thielen's seen pretty solid volume over his last five games, averaging 16.4 expected fantasy points per I game. Just, I just don't know that he has like a 100-yard game and his range of outcomes. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then, I mean, if Rondale were to get bumped to the slot, I, I, that would be pretty valuable. Arizona's lead slot receivers average 14 fantasy points per game this season. The problem is like banking on Cliff Kingsbury to do the thing that makes sense is like <laughs> yeah. always a losing bet. So yeah, some yeah, of rational coaching does not apply here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think, I think I'm going to play quite a bit of Hopkins, but out, outside of that, it's, it's hard for me to really love anyone. Here. I, I, I will just say like, even though it doesn't make too much sense on paper, uh, Jefferson is always in play. Uh, Kirk Cousins is always in play and you can kind of get there too with the matchup where it's like, okay, the cornerbacks are great, but Jefferson is seeing the, sixth highest rate of targets coming against linebackers and safety. So like he has a smart head coach who is scheming him really valuable mismatched targets. And he could definitely get there on that. Uh, But it's just, you know, really digging into the X's and O's and looking at all the other players in the slate. He's, he's not someone who jumps out to me. So conversely to our discussion on the Dallas offense, where there were five teams with a pass rate over expectation value below league average in every NFL or every game they've played this season, the Vikings surprisingly have been at or above league average in pass rate over expectations in every game that they've played this season. That has not transferred to the box scores. Kirk Cousins has not passed for more than two touchdowns in a single game. He has not broken the 300-yard receiving or passing bonus on DraftKings. My thinking is at some point, those floodgates are going to break open based on O'Connell's offense, based on what we've seen them styling back Dalvin Cook's workload. There's all these things working in favor of at some point, it's going to happen. And when we look at Adam Thielen's usage, he's in a route at a top 12 rate in the league. He has a 24.3 red zone target rate compared to Justin Jefferson, who's in like the high forties is a little bit um, misleading, but still a 24.3 red zone uh, team target market share is notable. Also the Minnesota offense is second in the league in red zone pass rate over expectation this season. So they're still chucking the ball around near the red zone. Again, at some point in O'Connell's like new scheme, something's going to give here. And when it hits, it's probably going to hit fairly hard. So I actually am fairly interested in Adam Thielen, who always carries multiple touchdown upside. He's going to need, obviously, double-digit looks and or a broken play to break the 100-yard receiving bonus. But at his current price at 6,300, he has a path to hit 30-plus fantasy points this week. And I would caveat that with, if I'm playing Adam Thielen, I would 100% pair him with Kirk Cousins because so much of his value comes from touchdowns that that 
directly obviously correlates to his quarterback there. To me, I really just see him as the OBJ to Justin Jefferson's Cooper Cup, like what we saw with Kevin O'Connell's offense last year where, yeah, maybe he'll score two touchdowns. But outside of that, OBJ was averaging like 38 yards per game. And uh, it just doesn't – he doesn't strike me as like the same old uh, Adam Thielen of last year who like in in healthy games, he ranked like 11th in fantasy points per game. And I just see this offense as too Jefferson-centric and uh, and maybe Thielen's lost a step. But you're right. I mean like he, he definitely has a, a better – more upside than, than I think he's getting credit for. Jake, are you interested in either running game here? I mean, you know, Dalvin Cook's the kind of guy who's talented enough that he's he's always in play. Um, I'm I don't think I'm I'm looking at at Arizona much at all. I know James Conner was was ruled out last week. Keontae Ingram stole about forty percent of backfield XFP. Um, so if you know if that's going to continue, I, I I really don't think either of those guys are are in play. Yeah, I would concur with that. Look at Dalvin Cook's um, opportunity share compared to the last season. He's sitting at like 72.8%. 2021, that was up near 80%. 2020, that was up near 80%. So like the big draw out of Dalvin was the volume. He was a bona fide workhorse running back. And and with his snap rate getting scaled back, he's seeing about the same uh, workload per snap. So about the same touches per snap expectation. But with his snap rate being scaled back so much this year um, and his past game involvement not offsetting that, which... I had a ton of Dalvin uh, in best ball thinking that his past game role would increase to offset the likely dip in, in snap rate. But thinking back like hindsight 2020, he's coming from a, a Rams team that has perennially been near the bottom of the league and in running back target rate. And that's kind of what we're seeing again this year with Dalvin uh, and Madison um, ranking near the bottom of the league in target rate. Yeah. Though, if I could just put, Push on, push back on that for a second. Is I, he was dealing with injury, the shoulder injury. He did miss time uh, in one of those games, which uh, you know can can make those numbers look worse than they are. But he, he's coming off of a bye, should be healthier. And then in week six, he had a uh, uh, he had a ninety two point eight percent share of the backfield XFP that ranks second most on the week. So to me. I, you know, I'm still a little optimistic he can get back to being a true uh, bell cow running back, just dominating uh, the usage. Um, yeah, he's he's projecting for you know around five or six percent ownership too. So you know, I think there's there's definitely some juice there in in GPPs. I dig it. Any parting shots on this one, boys? We'll move over to probably one of my top uh, game environments from an expected ownership and makeup, uh, and that's the Raiders at the Saints. We have two teams that are struggling to stay afloat in their respective divisions, the Raiders at two and four, the Saints at two and five. And then obviously we have some injuries coming into play. Uh, Devontae Adams seems like he is dealing with a similar stomach bug to what Scott uh, so eloquently described <laughs> earlier. <laughs> um, we have obviously Marshawn Lattimore, who is coming off multiple missed games and has not practiced this week. We have Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry, who are coming off multiple missed games, has not practiced this week. So the the Saints are in this state where it's basically boiled down to Alvin Kamara, um, Chris Olave, 
Jawan Johnson, because Trotman has not played, um, and then Taysom Hill, everyone's favorite fantasy star. Um, what are you guys seeing from this game environment? Is there anything to be excited about here? I think I think everything's exciting. I, I, I like this game. I like a lot of the pieces in this game. Uh, like you said, Marshawn Lattimore being out is, is not good uh, for their defense. Uh, the Saints are giving up the third most fantasy points per game to opposing wide receiver ones. Uh, I think Devontae Adams very in play. Chris Olave, if you just look at his numbers since week two, and maybe if you want to be generous and uh, consider the fact that he missed two full quarters with a concussion, and then you take the per game average of those, he has like 100 more air yards than any other wide receiver. He's ranked second in targets, ranks top five in XFP, top five in fantasy points per game. And he's only 6K. So he's really one of my favorite wide receivers on the week. Even if this, the matchup's amazing for the quarterback. It's, it's actually not great for the outside wide receivers. Uh, but I don't really care because, you know, we talked about how good Arizona was against wide receiver ones. And then Olave got it done last week. Um, I think Mac Hollins is like quietly underrated by a lot of key metrics I'm looking at by a, a passer rating when targeted by depth adjusted yards for target over expectation. He's quietly top 10. Uh, I'm not going to play him, but. Uh, he's a guy who I just think is being uh, underrated. Um, and then the running backs. I mean, we I could go on for days about the running backs. Uh, any Anyone I'm missing there or anyone you wanted to piggyback on? That's really it. And uh, with Trotman being out, we could see another game with Jawan Johnson increased usage. So there's viability there at only 3.2. My primary interest, I mean, you look at like the composition of these two teams and it's so heavily concentrated on – Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams for the Raiders. And then on the other side, Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara now with uh, the, the big piece here is with Andy Dalton starting, you know, this is a guy, Alvin Kamara, nine, seven, six, nine, seven, seven, and six targets over the four games that Andy Dalton has started. And it's, he's back to being this like heavy, heavy usage running back. They have Mark Ingram there, obviously, but Kamara is up, above 70% snap rate in all four of those Andy Dalton starts. So, and he has, he basically through that pass volume brings such an elevated floor that once the touchdowns come for Kamara, he has that like 35 plus point fantasy game in him based on his usage with Andy Dalton at quarterback. And I think that is going largely, largely overlooked. And I think on the other side of that game in the backfield with Josh Jacobs, I think the field the field's propensity is probably going to look and be like, Oh, his price increased a thousand dollars and he's priced, you know, just below Saquon Barkley, Derek Henry in, in good matchups. I don't really want to go there, but you break down and look at the underlying metrics. And this is a back with a top three workload in the NFL. We, we joked about it earlier, like workhorse Josh Jacobs is here, whether you like it or not type deal. Um, taking that one step further, the overall like composition of the slate were highly likely to see majority of rosters in play this week with one pay up running back and one value option with the multitude of value options available at the mid tier um, that are presenting themselves. So on top of that, people do not like playing running backs from the same game, but when you get like two, like these are probably two of the top four uh, running backs in the league right now. And in um, as far as usage goes, when you get them that are involved in the past game, they have, further avenues to fantasy points and, and success you get them playing each other they're borderline like game script proof backs 
So playing them together on a roster is a, is a high leverage spot this week for me. Yeah. So if you spot Alvin Kamara, just nine receiving yards, one rushing yard, he's averaging 23.8 DraftKings fantasy points per game over his last three games, despite not scoring a single touchdown. And we know that's going to come. My, my XTD stat, uh, he is the most efficient touchdown scorer uh, over the last decade. Uh, and I think he's going to regress. You know, people point at Taysom Hill, but a lot of those came outside of the red zone. He's not necessarily mm-hmm. getting these uh, inside the five, inside the 10 carries that otherwise would normally go to Alvin Kamara. I really want to talk about Josh Jacobs because, you know, uh, you know, maybe I'm this X's and O's guy, like look at the matchups and all that. But at a certain point, if a guy is just so insanely productive and people don't want to play him, I'm just going to instinctively play him. Uh, Johnny and I made so much money on Doug Baldwin that one year he was just crushing it on low target volume because everyone's like, oh, there's not enough targets. This isn't sustainable. And I'm like, yeah, but he scored 20 fantasy points in six straight games. I'm just going to keep playing him. And I'm getting that vibe from Josh Jacobs, who has 30 fantasy points in three straight games. That's only ever been accomplished by 11 other running backs. Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor are not on that list. I think this stat is correct. PFR's numbers are actually down. The site is super glitchy today. But when I checked this morning, only 11 other running backs ever, 30 and three. Um, At the very least, he has 33.8 fantasy points per game since week four. That's 11.2 more than any other running back. Uh, besides Austin Eckler, 24 carries, 5.3 targets, 22 XFP per game, uh, just obscene usage by, you know, snap share, carry share, target share. Uh, and it's just like a neutral matchup. And it's like 7,500. He's still cheap to me. So what do you think his ownership is going to be? And where do you, what do you think it should be? It's probably going to be based on the state of the slate. I would guess I haven't looked at ownership at all yet. That's typically my like Friday evening, Saturday morning deal. Um, I would guess it's probably in the four to seven percent range, just because of the 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 number of viable options that we have at the position this week. Um, and if like, I think if they were not playing the Saints, who they still have this like bias associated with them that they're this elite run defense. Look at the numbers; they're twenty first in yards allowed per carry, nineteenth in DVOA against the run. Raiders' offense are their offensive line is blocking to the top. Uh, or I guess the second um, adjusted line yards and they're averaging the most yards per carry in the league. So you look at like the composition of this matchup does not match what I think the field's biases are going to going to be this week. So that's probably going to keep his ownership rather in check. Uh, do you have actual numbers? Yeah, I, I, I disagree with that. I, th- I think Jacobs is going to be between 15 and 20 percent, maybe, maybe higher. I mean, running back running back ownership is going to be pretty flat, I think, across across the top options. Like you'll have Kenneth Walker, Moster, Damian Pierce, Saquon Barkley, Kamara, Derrick Henry, Ramondre, Tony Pollard, and Jacobs, probably all between 15 and 25 percent. So uh, Jacobs just at least at least in like. MME type stuff, like people using optimizers, he just projects too well to fall below 10%. I just don't think that's going to happen. Another guy, I I think you guys pretty much nailed the analysis across the board, but one guy I wanted to mention is uh, Las Vegas is by far the best matchup for opposing slot wide receivers. Traquan Smith uh, leads. Traquan. Yeah, (laughs) Traquan. Traquan leads uh, New Orleans in slot routes. So, um, you know, he's certainly in play in, uh, in large field stuff. 
I yeah, like this show. is an interesting matchup for me because uh, the Raiders are far and away the most vulnerable defense to opposing quarterbacks. They're about twice as bad against the slot as any other defense, but they're quietly top 12 against outside wide receivers. And this is just an extreme funnel matchup where, you know, I don't think three Quan is very good, but like this matchup is just massively popping. And something to say for us is I haven't, I haven't played these guys with enough conviction, but our hit rate on sub 4,600 wide receivers this year has been incredible. And there's just so much upside to your GPP rosters. If you nail one of those guys with like a 23 point score. I like that shout. That's a real good shout. Um, any parting shots on this game environment? We'll move over to the less exciting Patriots at the Jets, the surprising five and two in the driver's seat Jets. Um, we have we have a Patriots team who's coming off of a flop performance on national television. Um, and now they get to play the absolutely overperforming Jets. Uh, do we have any interest in Ramondre Stevenson or Michael Carter this week? Um Cases for them. Obviously, Stevenson has uh, taken the reins as the lead back here in this backfield. Obviously, a lot of that is to do with the health or lack thereof of Damian Harris. But on the flip side, we have obviously Brees Hall is going to be out for the remainder of the season with an ACL injury. And the team just brought in James Robinson. But on a short week, I think it's fair to expect the majority of the backfield usage to go to Michael Carter. And we know this is a team that likes to target the position. Any interest there? Um, yeah, my, Michael Carter just doesn't really get me too excited because, you know, again, I like a narrow exposure to running backs and there's a lot of running back value I'm seeing. I, I don't, you know, on paper, this really isn't a brutal matchup, but I, I just don't really trust him in this spot against the Patriots. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think he's looking at like 70% of the backfield XFP this week, maybe 50% of the carries, 80% of the targets. So on paper, that looks good. He's just not someone who gets me excited. Uh, Ramondre is definitely someone who gets me excited, but it makes me a little, only 500 more than Michael Carter, by the way. Uh, the concern there is, okay, Damian Harris was severely limited last week, but he's healthier this week. And typical Belichick just going to stupidly go back to this, you know, 55, 45 committee. I think there's a chance at that. I don't know that. I don't think that's the most likely outcome. I think it's working. I think Ramondre should be the bell cow. And boy, has he been a bell cow the last few weeks. He's really been LeGarrette Blunt plus James White, which has been so valuable. And he's just so good. And our sources told us this offseason, it's probably a 2023 thing, but they view him as, he could be there, Alvin Kamara. Uh, but I, I'm going to let um, Jake wrote up a lot of words on these guys. So, so Jake, point me in the right direction. It, it, don't overthink it. Just play Ramondre. What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, Ramondre is a really strong play. You know, 81% of backfield uh, XFP in week seven in, you know, a top eight uh, backfield by fantasy points per game. It's, you know, it's a great spot for a super talented running back. Uh, the Jets are a largely neutral matchup. Um, for opposing rushers. I, I think, you know, Scott, to the, the point that you made, Ramondre is probably a little too risky for cash. Um, but at least for tournaments, I, I think he's a great play. Um, I, you know, he'll still be around that 15 to 20% ownership range, but I'm more than, more than happy to eat that chalk. Um, 
Yeah, Michael Carter, I do think is pretty interesting because he's only projecting for two percent ownership. Um, I think I think he's I think he's pretty viable, um, assuming that holds. Um, you know, if he was closer to ten percent, I, I just don't think I'd be on him at all. Um, yeah, not sure if you guys have any more thoughts there. Yeah, if you look at the Jets' backfield as like a singular entity, which obviously to this point was Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Um, if you look at it as a single entity, the Jets are averaging the sixth most fantasy points per game as a backfield that that has come on 26.9 carries per game and 8.6 targets per game, which is fifth in the league at this point. So I think if the assumption is that they bring James Robinson along slowly, he obviously was a midweek trade. He's not probably not going to be heavily involved in the offense this week. If we give like 80% of that uh, you know, fantasy output to Michael Carter, primarily through the targets, I think there's upside here. Uh, I guess rather sneaky upside here for sure. Yeah. And people like he's, he's pretty good. Brees Hall was like playing amazing, obviously, and, you know, deserve to play over Carter, but Carter's a pretty talented running back in his own right. So um, yeah, I think there's some merit there. Yeah. And I think they're just going to keep trying to hide Zach Wilson as much as possible. Yeah. He is oh, just yeah. so bad. Um but I, I think some of the receivers you could argue are in play, maybe Elijah Moore with the squeaky wheel narrative or yeah. Garrett Wilson, who, I mean, there's what? There's like a 3% chance Zach Wilson gets hurt. Joe Flacco comes in and he scores 30 <laughs> DraftKings fantasy points, right? Um, but the bottom line is they're just both very cheap and Corey Davis is expected to miss. Uh, and then I think we need to talk about Jacoby Myers too. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to write him up as such, but to me, he looks cash viable. He's led the team in target share in nine of his last nine healthy games. Mac Jones has played in full, uh, really good volume, really good production. He's scoring touchdowns this year. Um, again, he's another bubble guy for me, but you know, I could be swayed. Uh, what are your thoughts on those three wide receivers? I, I mean, personally, I, I definitely like Myers this week. I think he'll probably go under-owned. The Jets are a pretty big slot funnel just because Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed are playing incredibly well. I mean, they're probably the first or second best outside cornerback duo in the NFL. Um, so that's going to funnel targets Myers' way. I, I think he's a pretty strong play this week. Yeah, I'd have to agree on Myers. And we look at his like underlying metrics. He's got 30.9% air yard share this week or this season, which is top 24 in the league. His target share is a modest 22.9%, but he's continually producing double-digit fantasy scores with Mac Jones at quarterback. And that's something that I think is, is definitely cash viable at the price. The, the other side for me with the Jets pass catchers, um, yes, Corey Davis is out, but there's just so many unknowns that I think all both of those guys are probably relegated to like deep MME play. Um, like they wouldn't make my, my late week condensed player pool for single entry uh, play. I mean, Brees Hall is out, you know, maybe, and this is probably a game they're going to be trailing. Uh, and they're both really good, even if Zach Wilson's really bad. But yeah. no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, parting shots on the Patriots and the Jets. We'll move over to one of the more lopsided games in the Steelers and the Eagles. The Battle of Pennsylvania here. We have the undefeated Eagles coming off of their bye against the two and five Steelers who are, they made the plunge, they're, they're playing for the future now. It was interesting to me that it was reported that they, the Steelers were expected to just commit to Trubisky for the entirety of the season and allow Pickett to, to just learn. 
that shocked me in the preseason. I, I kind of always figured that this team would give Pickett a chance at some point, and it probably came earlier than most would have expected this season. That said, Pickett is a gunslinger, man. He is kind of this guy who is caution to the wind and taking chances downfield. That immediately gets me onto Philadelphia defense, um, which we'll talk to a little bit more um, after I give you guys a chance to talk to here. Um, but what are you seeing from the expected game environment here? We'll start macro and work our way down. Uh, I think you're killing it with the defenses. I, I, you know, I always just try and instinctively go towards the the cheapest viable defense I can find, but Dallas and Philly really stand out. Um, so that's a good call. Uh, I can't, I can't pull the stat because like I said, uh, PFR is glitchy, but from what I remember, Jalen Hurts is the QB one in the first half with like 12 fantasy points per game, more than the QB two. Yeah. And then in the second half, he's like the QB 27. And uh, he's probably my favorite GPP quarterback beyond, uh, beyond Tua and Ellinger. Uh, just because, hey, like you, you never know, maybe it's competitive. And then even if not, Hertz can get there in just a first half of play if he wants. Uh, this offense is just so sexy and it looks so good. Um, I don't really have a take beyond that as far as uh, who to play, who to stack him with. Uh, you know, Goddard's, you know, he can get there. He's not seeing the volume, but like I think he leads the league in fantasy points for target. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh is a lot more vulnerable against wide receiver twos than wide receiver ones this year. So you can make a case for Devonta Smith and then AJ Brown is just clearly, uh, clearly the guy. Oh, actually I'm wrong. Pittsburgh is bottom five against uh, wide receiver ones and uh, they're bottom two against wide receiver twos. So really both are in play, maybe even as a dub stack in play. It's a great matchup for both. Um, uh you could also consider Miles Sanders just in case, you know, like, hey, like the the defense scores all the touchdowns, pair him with the defense. Uh, he ices the clock, breaks off a long run. Uh, as far as stacking, I, I think it's obvious. You can make a case for Pat Fryermuth, who was really seeing like nearly like uh, if, if Kyle Pitts was having the season, Pat Fryermuth was having, Pitts owners would be a lot less unhappy. And this is a tight end funnel defense because Philadelphia really does have the best cornerback uh, 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 trio in the NFL. You'd also make a case for George Pickens just because he's really good. He, he, he meshes well with uh, Pickett's skill set. Uh, he ranks 28th among all wide receivers and passer rating when targeted. Deontay Johnson ranks dead last. Like, please, more volume for Pickens, less volume for Deontay. It's not working. But you could also just say, yeah, I'm going to fade the lot, you know, and just and just play Hurts. Uh, but outside of game stacks, I'll probably maybe Sanders and the defense. I'll mostly be avoiding this game. I think. Um, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, I I really don't love Hertz as a play this week. I mean, Hertz scoring thirty three is equivalent to Ellinger scoring sixteen. I mean, like it's Hell, yeah. yeah, like you you and like a bet on Hertz is just a bet on Pittsburgh keeping this game close because eighty one percent of Jalen Hertz fantasy scoring this season has come in the first half of games. Like Philadelphia blowing teams out is just absolutely killing his upside. Um, he's actually in his 21 starts since the start of, uh, 2021, he's only exceeded 33.2 fantasy points, which would be four X his week eight salary once. So like the upside just isn't there because Philadelphia has blown everybody out. Um, 
I like Deontay Johnson overall as a value. I think probably Pickens and, and Fryermuth are, are better plays overall on the Pittsburgh side if you're going to stack this game. Um, but Deontay is actually the cheapest he's been since week 10 of 2022. 19.1 expected fantasy points over his last three games. You know, all three Kenny Pickett, uh, Kenny Pickett starts. Um, yeah, I, I think there's some merit to all three of the the Pittsburgh pass catchers there. But overall, I think I'm, I'm just going to be off this game because Philadelphia is probably going to destroy him. Yeah, Philadelphia ranks first in the league in first half scoring at three touchdowns per game. They average 21 points scored in the first half. In the second half, they average 5.8 points scored per game, which is insane. So this is very clearly a team that has to be pushed uh, to achieve their fantasy ceiling. So for me, attacking this game is either playing Philadelphia's defense because with them taking their foot off in the gas in the second half, we can expect additional possessions for a very mistake-prone Kenny Pickett, um, which obviously with the pressure and the secondary, uh, which is what makes like an elite defense in today's NFL game is like the pressure up front and the secondary, uh, and they've got it. With those pieces, there is definite opportunity for some defensive upside here. And again, the the field just does not like paying up at the defensive position because it's so variance-laden. The other thing I think you can do um, from a plus EV manner is attack this game environment through Pittsburgh. Um, Because if the Eagles are putting up like massively like ceiling games, it's because they're being pushed by Pittsburgh. So Kenny Pickett, we just talked about him being like a gunslinger pairing him with like one or two of his pass catchers is not going to be owned at all bringing it back with like AJ Brown or a primary option from the Eagles uh, is just an interesting leverage point. I don't know if I'll be going there. Probably not, but um, worth considering this week for MME play. Uh, Any thoughts on that, Scott? Nope. I like it. All right. Moving along here over to the Titans at the one, four and one Texans. This is where a lot of people are going to be looking for some running back upside. I think this week, You look at the last four games over the last two years of Derrick Henry versus Houston are just absolutely gaudy numbers. Um, What are you seeing one from this game environment? And then how are you planning of attacking it this week, Scott? Uh, Yeah, I'll throw it over to Jake just because uh, I really liked his write up on both running backs, but, but these are definitely two. Did you not write up Damian Pierce? I I don't remember. No, we didn't, we didn't have Pearson in values, but I did write up Henry. I mean, it's a smash spot for, for Henry. So he averages 27 and a half fantasy points per game and wins, which is 14.4 fantasy points per game and losses. The Titans are a two and a half point favorite. I believe I haven't checked in the last 24 hours to see if that's changed, but that translates to an implied win probability of 57%. Uh, and then Houston is just an outstanding matchup for opposing running backs, allowing the fourth most schedule adjusted uh, rushing fantasy points per game, the fourth highest percentage of explosive runs, the fourth highest yards per carry. Um, and opposing offenses opposing offenses have recognized this, leading to Houston allowing the fifth lowest pass rate over expectation. Everyone's running on Houston because they know they're a terrible run defense and Derrick Henry is the king of running the football. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty simple spot there. Um, Damian Pierce is, you know, sort of like the counter argument there. You know, he's leverage off of Henry, who will, I think, almost certainly be higher owned, probably not by a ton. Um, but yeah, you know, if Texas wins this game, it's going to it's going to go through Pierce. They really don't want to put the ball in Davis Mills hands. So, 
Yeah. And if they are forced to do that, Nico Collins has not practiced all week with a groin injury, but behind him, it's kind of a smattering of mediocrity and smattering of sparsely utilized players. Chris Moore, Philip Dorsett each played about 55% of the offensive snaps last week. Um, obviously Chris Conley's out of town, so they don't have the, they, they really don't have the talent outside of Brandon cooks. And you can, you can de- debate with a wall about his talent. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a, I'm a cook's truther. If he could find God, if he could find a, a, a fantasy relevant spot to landing spot, but um, yeah, outside of Brandon cooks, is there anything to like with any of the secondary options with Nico Collins trending towards being out? Yeah. So this is, this is uh sort of tricky for me as someone who went all in on Matt Ryan last week. And uh, that was a little bit of bad process. He also uh, suffered an injury, but um, mostly bad process, but uh, Tennessee uh, ranks bottom three in schedule adjusted to quarterbacks through the air. Uh, They rank bottom three to outside wide receivers Uh, over the last four or five weeks. They were giving up like 28, fantasy points per game and 5.5 yards per route run to wide receiver twos, uh, specifically perimeter wide receiver twos. But like that number remains stagnant. If you want to call uh, Paris Campbell, a wide receiver two, when he got it done last week. Um, and they're giving up the most uh, yards per game, fantasy points per game to opposing receivers on deep passes. And so all of this looks exciting. If you could find a three K you know, uh, whoever Nico Collins backup is, but the way I've been viewing it is I'm more inclined to just assume, okay, the sellout to, to stop Brandon cooks, uh, what they did against the Raiders was the, they ran heavy brackets, um, cover two and cover six against, uh, Adams and a little bit of Waller just to sell out, to stop the wide receiver one. And if you could do that against Houston, there's really no one else you need to account for, uh, so again, I, I do like the running backs, Damian Pierce, uh, for, for one thing, he's just an absolute baller, uh, for another, the volume is really good. If you look at his numbers last week, they weren't great. It was a big departure from what we'd seen in recent weeks. But if you just take out the final two drives, uh, in a game that was clearly well out of hand, he had 100% of the carries and 50% of the targets. And so He's not a bell cow, high low as I arbitrarily define as a high percentage of the snaps, carries, and targets. Uh, he is a workhorse in between a bell cow where he dominates all of the rushing work and he's like 50 50 as a receiver and in, in routes run. Uh, but the bottom line is like, hey, this spread is close. He's leveraged off of Derrick Henry. He's the baller. He's the best player on their offense. Apologies to you and all other Brandon Cooks truthers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how I see this game. I can't argue at all with that. Jake, anything to add there? Not really. I mean, cooks is cooks is the kind of guy who always projects well, but it just, it hasn't been there this year. Um, and I think part of that Nico is Collins beat him in receiving yards. Like if you adjust for his injury last week in like five straight games, like, yeah, you know, I, he, I think the defensive part... coordinators view him as cooks as the wide receiver one but the production just hasn't backed that sorry go on g yeah no i was just gonna say like i think part of the issue is that davis mills isn't throwing downfield is a dots like 5.6 or something this year um so that kind of like i i know tennessee is you know one of the premier um sort of deep passing funnels but i'm not sure that's really applicable this week with mills yeah i think a lot of people uh 
incorrectly just simply look at matchups and not like offensive tendencies from the the offense in question uh like because the matchup is is great is there but like the offensive tendencies do not lend themselves to brandon cook's uh production here um i dig it let's move over to the commanders and the colts the commanders have a lot of stuff going on with their injury report Jahan dotson remains out logan thomas is attempting to come back from his calf injury after three limited practices he's listed as questionable and then backup tight end rookie tight end Cole Turner is going to be out with his concussion. He did not clear protocol this week. Um, so are you seeing anything from like a potentially condensed pass offense here against um, a Colts team that has been up or really up or down uh, as far as pass against goes? Uh, Jake, you want to just take this? I know you're itching to talk about your love for Sam Ellinger. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, you know, Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin are are both certainly in play on the on the Washington side, but yeah, I Sam Ellinger, I mean, he's just he's the he's the elephant in the room for DFS this week. He's 4000 and he's a starting starting NFL quarterback. Um he averaged 9.7 rushing fantasy points per game across his college career, which is more than Justin Fields averaged at Ohio State. He ranked top third uh, in the top third among college QBs in ADOT in his final two college seasons. Uh he was also Ninth, I believe, among preseason quarterbacks in average depth of target. Uh, Frank Reich had a quote this week that was basically like, yeah, I mean, we want to establish the run, but we also want more explosive passing plays downfield. And, um, you know, if there's a defense to target for explosive passing plays downfield, it's it's probably Washington. They allow the eighth highest percentage of uh, deep throws and I believe the second highest average depth of target on the season teams teams like to exploit Washington deep and sounds like Indianapolis is going to is going to try to do that this week and yeah I mean Ellinger's the kind of guy where you know if he scores 16 fantasy points he probably gets you there at a salary if he scores 22 I mean he's probably unbeatable um yeah he feels feels like a great play and what's what's interesting to me is you know I kind of thought before I looked at ownership like oh he's going to be 30% owned this week but He's looking to clock in around 15 to 20%, kind of right there with Tua as the highest owned QB play of the week. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm just debating going all in um, Ellinger or playing. I'm probably going to end up playing at least 60 or 70%. So, um, yeah, please, please talk me off that. <laughs> no, I, I think that's where I'm at. It's just the margin of safety is so high where he could score 12 fantasy points and, and 15 fantasy points, and you could still easily like ship a tournament just because of all the salary space he gives you to pay up elsewhere at these sort of positions that offer more power law upside. Uh, And then just who he is. Like if you look at his final three years in college, he was basically identical to Trevor Lawrence, except twice as many rushing yards per game, twice as many rushing touchdowns per game. Look at him against Robert Griffin, the third, they're sort of like the same player in college. And then look at what he did this preseason. He was he had a nearly perfect passer rating through four quarters of work, scored 45 fantasy points. Uh, he basically played one quarter, one drive, one quarter, 75 percent of a drive and then one full quarter and 45. And I mean, yeah, you're up against backups and, and things like that. But uh, I think he's good because, you know, Jim Nagy, my guy, director of the Senior Bowl, said, you know, we viewed him very similarly to Jalen Hurts. A lot of other people have said, he's like a bad Jalen Hurts. And it's like, guess what? He's half the price of Jalen Hurts. So like, like how bad does he need to be? Because Taysom Hill was a bad 
Jalen Hurts, and he was putting up more fantasy points per game. Uh, and then add in the matchup. It's a top three matchup against Washington. Uh, Washington is also really good against the run, really bad against receiving running backs, really bad against outside wide receivers. And it just like all lines up. And look at what Ellinger did this preseason. I think you could stack him. I really think you could stack him. This preseason, he was chucking it deep to his perimeter wide receivers. Desmond Patman was smashing. Uh, I think this helps Alec Pierce, who has this elite, freakish athleticism. He's a great deep threat. Uh, Pittman, too, was a poor stylistic fit for Matt Ryan, who just didn't trust him in man coverage. Uh, I know this sounds crazy, but like, I really could see this as an upgrade for an offense that was, you know, with a bad offensive line that really struggled with a statute quarterback, um, yeah, 60 to 70%. I'm there. So Hilo, you talk us off the ledge, please. This is an interesting spot. And what I want, first, I want to start by saying like, I'm with you guys here actually. Um, and I want to parlay that with the idea that this team is not running any basically 21 personnel over the last couple of weeks, and they are not running much 12 personnel anymore. What that led to last week is Michael Pittman played 100% of the snaps, Paris Campbell played 98% of the snaps, and Alec Pierce saw a massive bump in his snap rate to 97%. And before last week, he ranked seventh among all wide receivers in yards for route run over his prior four or five games. Like this guy is good. I'm pretty sure he's, he's good. Sorry, go on. Yeah. So a very, very interesting stacking partner with Ellinger for me this week is Alec Pierce. And also look back to like preseason, they probably had more reps together than any other pass catcher that's going to be starting yeah. here. Yeah. So they have the familiarity. Alec Pierce has an expanding role and Ellinger is this like capable attacking quarterback to where you can stack up those two guys for just over the price of playing Jalen Hurts, which is interesting. <laughs> so uh, yeah, a lot of upside there. Obviously I think the field is probably going to have some interest in Paris Campbell. He's seen 23 targets over the last two weeks. Um, he is the kind of, em- he's becoming what we all wanted him to become over the last two preseasons. Right. Um, but for me, like Alec Pierce is super, super interesting this week. Um, yeah. I Again, Ellinger really just chucking it deep to these outside wide receivers, really honing in on them in preseason. And this is a best possible matchup for outside wide receivers. It's perfectly neutral for slot wide receivers. Uh, so I, I'm just not going to play Paris Campbell and, and, and you know, hope I'm right in that regard. Um, I don't know that you need to run it back with, with anyone. Uh, my only question, I think I'm just going to run out two lineups this week, and it's going to be Tua doubles with Amon Ross St. Brown. And it's going to be Sam Ellinger plus Alec Pierce plus probably Raheem Mostert. My only question is, do I add Jonathan Taylor uh, as leverage off of Ellinger uh, to my Tua doubles? Because like I said, they're very vulnerable against uh, pass catching running backs. And Jonathan Taylor saw a career high in targets last week that came one week before Deion Jackson led all running backs and targets um, it's Jonathan Taylor. Like we just know this guy has freakish upside, even if this is the third worst offensive line in football per PFFs grading run, run block grading. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that high low? To me, I don't think it's required again, 
pointing back to the depth at the running back position this week, if this were a week where there were like one or two very clear options and then you could, that leverage was required. I think it'd be a little bit more pertinent, but just the fact that we have a rather widespread out, um, I guess, ownership expectation at the running back position, I don't think it's required. Um, I think you're going to be perfectly leveraged at that point enough to where uh, it's probably, it's just not required for me. I think you're right. Thanks for that. Uh, Jake, any, uh, I guess, closing shots um, on Ellinger or any other piece of this game? Yeah, I was just I was just going to say a final note on Taylor, who I who I do think is interesting leverage, but I'm I'm kind of with you guys. You, you really don't need it. It's like this, you know. There's there's definitely a path where you know both offenses are just completely inept and nothing really happens in this game. I think that's probably a more likely outcome than you know Taylor going going off and and Ellinger Elling, Ellinger failing that way. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to just locking him in, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, I guess along those lines, the state of the quarterback position as well as the tight end position is like there are one player at each position that can really put the slate out of reach with Jalen Hurts and George Kittle at the tight end position. And then outside of that, it's like just this smattering of embracing variance. Um, and I think that brings up an interesting dynamic for the state of the slate overall. Um, to where these like mid-range quarterbacks and these mid-range tight ends are largely probably going to be going overlooked outside of Irv Smith at tight end. He's probably going to garner some ownership, but uh, I just want to throw that in there. Um, Let's move on to the battle of the NFC West in the 49ers at the Rams. Surprisingly low game total here, but we know these teams can play to both a slugfest, a grind it out type game. And we know, sorry, I'm going to go on mute after this. My kid's crying in the background. Um, and we know these teams can really open it up. Are you guys seeing any uh, indicators pointing towards some upside here? Yeah, I, I wrote an XFE talking about, uh, well, I was a little worried about Debo Samuel. He's just not dominating target volume. Uh, George Kittle has been at an 80, 18% target share and a 75% route share in three straight games. The last time he did that, he averaged 35 DraftKings fantasy points per game over the last two seasons, 23 fantasy points per game, hitting those benchmarks. Um, and uh, and yeah, he's just not dim- dominating uh, with wide receiver one target volume. And then Christian McCaffrey comes in. You have to think you know, that eats into some of his yak style targets and the, the carries he was getting. Uh, but I mean, I can't help but like Debo Samuel this week, who I think has 100 yards in like five straight regular season games against the Rams. He is the best wide receiver in the NFL against cover three, which is what the Rams just continually trot out against the 49ers. Um, and so he's interesting to me. Uh, there are a few other pieces as well, but you could you could say he's not necessary this week. And, and I certainly get that. We have an interesting development that Kyle Juszczyk is going to be out this week. Do you think that's going to lead to increased pass blocking snaps for Kittle? Oh, boy. That's a great take. I can see that happening. Yeah. Yeah, that does. That definitely makes sense. Uh, the Rams, by the way, uh, they're they're above average everywhere except their bottom five against outside wide receivers. Uh, so that's another argument to be made. They're like best in the league against tight ends. 
so so maybe uh, yeah, Kittle's just not necessary. He was popping as a value for us in the super model, but uh, I think you bring up some great points, Hilo. Jake, anything else you're seeing from this game, which is surprisingly low game total, like I said earlier? Yeah, I mean, Kittle is the closest thing that we have on the slate to an oligarch tight end, and he's only 5,700 on DraftKings. Like, to me, Kittle is basically the tight end version of Aaron Jones, where, you know, most weeks you just don't need him, but then a couple times a year, he's going to score 40 points, and, you know, he's he's the key piece that you need to, you know, to win a tournament. Um, so I really like him as an upside play. He projects pretty poorly because, like Scott touched on, the, the Rams are just a terrible matchup for opposing tight ends. Um so yeah, I, I kind of like Kittle and GPPs. I think McCaffrey's pretty interesting among like the low-owned, expensive running backs, which would be Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor, and McCaffrey. McCaffrey's probably the most intriguing to me, just because like what could Kyle Shanahan do with this guy after a full week of practice, right? Like it could like we could be looking at you know eight to ten targets, like twenty-five total touches. It could be you know it could really be the CMC show. Um, but yeah, I mean it's. It's tough to love anyone in this game. I think Ayuk would probably be my favorite play overall, um, but the totals just just super low. I mean, you could very easily see this being seventeen to ten or something like that. So, yeah, maybe maybe not a whole ton of upside here overall. Uh, I think there's something to be said for the fact that uh, Kyle Shanahan has beaten his buddy Sean McVay in six straight regular season games, something like that. But I I, I always try and come up with one galaxy brain play on this show per week. And, and this week it might be uh, Stafford plus Cooper cup uh, plus Debo. Uh, I just think this 49ers defense is a little fraudulent and people haven't woken up to the fact Patrick Mahomes last week, 423 passing yards, three touchdowns the week before that uh, Marcus Mariota had a perfect pass rating scored 26 fantasy points on 14 pass attempts, only one incompletion. The week before that, P.J. Walker had a 10-yard-per-attempt average. Uh, and so you know, they're coming off the bye. Um, I don't see Cooper Cup drawing a lot of ownership, despite the fact that uh, the 49ers are pretty weak against slot wide receivers. And he had 19 targets the last time these two teams faced off. Van Jefferson is another player who maybe you want to add to that for a cheap little double stack. Not a lot of people are going to be on. Uh, what are your thoughts, Hilo? Yeah, I think you either need to avoid this game or go all in on the game environment. Because like we said, with these these two teams playing that know each other very well, they typically play to the extremes. They typically play to a slugfest or things really open up. And if things really open up, there are some high per touch upside pieces, obviously here, um, that could b- kind of bring the hammer, so to speak, on this slate. Um, and it's it's likely to go largely overlooked on a game with a wide range of potential outcomes. I want to be exposed to that situation at low ownership and then take the opposite approach uh, if they're expected to garner ownership. And this week, I would not expect much ownership at all from this game. So, yeah, I like that call uh, fairly, uh, I guess, a lot. Um, Jake, anything to add there? No, I don't I don't have any more notes. Let's go to the final game of the main slate, the Giants and the Seahawks. There's a lot of moving pieces for these two teams this week. Obviously, we had um, Kadarius Toney, who left town from the Giants, over to the Chiefs. We have Wondell Robinson, who's kind of emerging slowly as he gains health as the de facto uh, wide receiver one on this team. And then the Seahawks, uh, obviously, we have 
um, a couple of wide receivers who have been in and out of the injury report for multiple weeks now and DK Metcalf, who's likely going to miss extended time. So are you guys, when looking at this game environment, we kind of have to be thinking from the running back position and then branching out from there. Are you seeing anything from this, uh, either of these two lead backs here? Yeah, I really like Kenneth Walker this week. Uh, Seattle's RB1 averages 18.5 fantasy points per game over the last 12. That's 24.2 fantasy points per game and wins. Uh, Walker is seeing much better usage than what Penny was getting. Maybe not much better, but the better usage, a little bit more involvement uh, in terms of route share and just in in terms of snaps. He's similarly hyper-efficient with 6.0 yards for carry. Uh, by my favorite stat, which is yards per carry on runs where first contact wasn't initiated at or before the line of scrimmage. It's averaging 12.4 yards per carry. Uh, that's 3.4 more than Nick Chubb, who typically ranks first in the stat every single year. Uh, and why that's so important is because if you look at the matchup, the Giants aren't giving up a ton of production to opposing running backs, but they rank second worst in yards per carry, and they rank dead last, 25% worst in yards before contact allowed per running back attempt. Uh, and so he's averaging uh, a 15-plus yard run uh, 11.9% of the time. I think this week uh, he's going to have like four such runs. Like I just think he's a great play. He's definitely still too cheap at 6,500. Um, yeah, I really like that. I'll, I'll toss it back to you guys, but there, there's a few other players I want to look at. Jake, anything to add on the backfields here? Um, no, I mean, both both players are pretty strong plays. Kenneth Walker's, I think, pretty easily the second best play at running back of the slate overall, probably right there with Pollard. Um you know, it's the top running back value. Um, one guy that I wanted to talk about who I really like this week is Wandale Robinson. So, um, you know, he's by far New York's most targeted player on a per route basis, earning uh, 0.29 targets per route run, like a mark that rivals Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson. If you give him a 90% route share, you'd be looking at 8.8 targets per game, which would rank ninth best among slate eligible wide receivers. And yet, Robinson is priced as the wide receiver 36 on DraftKings. So um, he's just a clear value to me. Um, probably one of my favorite wide receiver plays of the slate. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it back to you guys. Yeah. So anything I, to add on Wondell? Yeah. I, so I'm like the world's biggest Wondell truther. Uh, if you looked at every single fantasy analyst or draft pundit, they all had Wandale Robinson as like a mid day three guy, Tyquan Thornton as day three guys. And I'm like, no, 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 these are round two, round three players at worst. Like I love these guys. And then I have maybe 100% exposure to Wandale and best ball. Love him. But like, I'm a natural born contrarian and I, I just kind of don't love him this week. I just don't know that the upside is there. Um, like you said, if he gets a full-time workload, uh, there that, that that'd be great but even in week one he was kind of rotating out um before the injury and then just like what's the upside for this low a dot um role he has on a bad passing attack and and that's just my question like maybe you need like a taekwon thornton week six game where he like runs one in and he breaks another one but two touchdowns but i don't know how much i see that happening at high ownership 
Uh, Daniel Jones is interesting in the sense that he has more rushing yards per game than Jalen Hurts. This is a really well-coached team. They keep winning games. Uh, Saquon Barkley is just the dude. He is seeing the best usage of any running back in fantasy by snap share, XFP share, things of that nature. But um, it's really just Kenneth Walker for me, if I'm being honest. Uh, Maybe Marquise Goodwin, who is a guy – JM blew my mind uh, saying he was on last week, but DK Metcalf's not healthy. Tyler Lockett's not healthy. And Tyler Lockett's never played well with an injury in his career. And then Noah Fant is 2,800. He saw a season high snap share last week. He's getting targets. uh, And it's, this is, this is where the giants are most vulnerable is against tight ends outside of running backs on the ground. Uh, Any thoughts on that? Hilo? I think for me, from the macro of this game, I think it's the running backs are bust, and I think you can play them together because you cover multiple potential game outcomes um, as far as the environment goes. Um, yeah, like Kenneth Walker is just such a stud. Man. <laughs> he, right now, he leads the league in breakaway rate at 11.9%. He ranks sixth in the league in evaded tackles, and that's with not playing as the lead back for the entire season. Leads the league in juke rate at 56%. Um, and is sitting top 12 in yards per touch and true yards per carry. And he's also been fairly like uh, barbell as far as his per touch efficiency has gone. He's either been like stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage, or he's breaking these long runs. And when you look at like a Giants defense who is ranked 27th in second level yards allowed, they're ranked 31st in stuff rate, they're ranked 30th in open field yards allowed. So there's a lot of upside, I think, here for. Kenneth Walker, um, probably going to be fairly uh, popular, but I think there are ways or easier ways to leverage off of that ownership than at other spots this week. Um, One of them being you could just play him with Saquon Barkley in the same game um, and capture probably the largest exposure to upside uh, from each of these teams in one fell swoop. Jake, anything to add from uh, this game? Um, Really, we're kind of limited in the options that we have uh, through the past game here. Yeah, I mean, I do, to to, to Scott's Scott's point, I do think uh, Noah Fan is legitimately in play. Like, consensus projections have him as the the top tight end value. Obviously, it's not sexy chasing a guy who loses some route share to to Will Disley. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, he's he's legitimately in play. Uh, A final note, like, not related to this game. Ryan Tannehill didn't practice today, so there's a real chance Malik Willis starts um, on Sunday. I think if that happens, he's probably in that same, like, Tua Ellinger tier. Uh, What do you guys think? Yeah, he was listed on the initial injury report with, uh, I think, an ankle injury. And then he got in a full practice, and then he missed practice today with an illness. So I'm not sure what his status is going to be this weekend. Um, I would lean towards him playing if it's if it's purely he's bothered by the illness here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That is what happened, right? He missed practice beginning of the week with an ankle and then illness on Friday. It's what it looks like. Yeah. Not sure. I mean, he's still listed. Yeah, it's ankle slash illness. So yeah, hard, hard to say. Um, I think that would, it would probably be a ding to, to Henry because Willis would steal some rushing volume there. Yeah, and the efficiency of the offense probably too. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, boys, that's all I got. Uh, Scott, any parting shots you want to take us out, man? Um, 
No, I don't think so. I think you guys really killed it. Um, really impressed by you, Hilo, and you exceeded expectations. Uh, I mean, yeah, part, parting shots. I mean, Sam Ellinger. <laughs> or die. <laughs> yeah, 70%, uh, 60%, 40%, a doubles for me. And then maybe one milli lineup with Stafford. Uh, what about you, Hilo? What, what, how are you kind of... How do you think you're going to be attacking the slate? I don't know. Are you an MME guy? I'm not. I'm a single entry three max guy, uh, medium to high stakes. Um, and I'm primarily, I'll probably put four to five rosters in play. And the way that I attack it just from a, a theoretical standpoint is I don't enter the same roster in multiple contests. So if I'm doing, if I'm entering like one high dollar three max and then two high dollar single entries, I'll have a different lineup in each of those contest to be able to basically spread my exposure to allow EV to work out uh, at a faster rate. So if that's the case, if I'm running five, I will probably run two, I think, Sam Ellinger. I'll probably have a Tua. And then I am toying with whether I want to run the final two with Kirk Cousins or if I'm just going to drop that to one and then spread exposure somewhere else as well. Uh, Debo just got ruled out. Oh, oh, there we go. Kittle time. Oh, boy. Kittle blocking time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this, no, the splits with Kittle are insane. Yeah, I know. That's with, without yeah, Debo. That throws a huge wrench into the slate. Because... I didn't even know he was hurt. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise to me as well. That's crazy. Hamstring. Jeez. I'm trying to like process that. As yeah, I'm right. <laughs> All right, Debo Samuel has sat out or played under 35% of the team snaps in six of George Kittle's 24 games of the last three seasons. Without Kittle, uh, without Samuel, Kittle aver- averages 20.3 fantasy points per game. With Samuel, Kittle averages only 11.8. That's that's massive. Yeah, that's probably huge. also slightly bumps McCaffrey too. I would think. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he, could I, be, but... he could be a slate record. I mean. Even with just you know one week under the under his belt. Oh yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, I'll I'll talk about this in my article. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you guys all next week.